0: The University of Adversity, where the only rules of the class is to hold your head up high and keep moving forward. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And now, here's your host, Lance Ecos. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. So excited for today. I got Rob Eastman in the house. Man, this guy's story is insane. You're going to want to listen to this right till the end. He's gone through everything. Like you literally everything bad a person can go through in their life. He's gone through. So if you want to see a contrast from somebody that's gone through so much struggle to going on to be successful, to making a huge impact in the community, you got to listen to this episode. This is amazing. If this doesn't inspire you, I don't know what will. If you haven't already guys, I'm super grateful for all of you. Please go and subscribe to this. So you stay on top of everything. At the end of this episode, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Leave a review. Let us know. This is going to be fire. Make sure you listen to this right to the end. And if you find value in it, tell your friends about it. Share it, right? So it's all about. Let's inspire people. Let's make a difference. Let's get into it. Rob Eastman, everybody. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of University of Adversity. I'm your host, Lance Isios. My next guest has been tested by adversity on not just one, but multiple occasions. From overcoming addiction, his wife divorcing him, losing his father, and the bank taking everything, he has had to face it all, from all angles and all directions. But he made it through. He is now the owner of Eastman Fitness and Wellness, president of the Eastman Family Recovery Foundation, and is also a wrestling and volleyball coach the local high schools and junior high schools, and he's, he's now living his life to inspire and help people. He's raising a family and doing amazing things. So I'm really excited to dive into his story, hear what it's all about, and give you guys some, some amazing inspiration that you can use in your lives. So Rob Eastman, welcome to the show, bro. Thank you for having me, man.
1: I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, a, it's an honor to have you and i um, really excited to dive into your story. You've been through a lot and we have a few things in common there as I read through your bio. And uh, yeah, man, maybe just take us back and uh, give us a little bit of a, give us a little bit of an insight into your life and, you know, how you kind of got where you are today.
1: So started really early for me. I'm, I'm from Utah, so we have a really uh, stronghold of the LDS Mormon Church. Um, but from a very young age, I was bullied, red hair, big ears. You know pretty easy picking on the on the uh, playground and uh, had ADHD you know I was in and out of the doctor as soon as I went to school because I couldn't sit still like everybody else and uh, through the bullying and feeling different and all those things I, I developed my first suicidal thoughts by the third grade and uh, that just kind of led a life of uh, anger and pretending to be things I wasn't so that I could fit in I you know basically Do whatever anybody needed me to do just so they wouldn't pick on me and that led me into uh drugs and alcohol and uh we can get into the rest of that (laughs) that after that's another world but i think uh, for the most part i came from a successful family you know i had loving parents i had you know we weren't poor we didn't have all these things and i think it was uh when i go and i speak to parents and i speak to students is a big part of I think today's issues is parents over protect and underprepare. So yeah. my parents protected me from being bullied. They didn't teach me how to deal with those things and they knew I was depressed. So they just kind of loved me rather than giving me the skills I needed to get past that and to learn how to love myself. So unfortunately I learned how to do that at 31 rather than 13. Mm. <laughs> I wish we would have could have flipped that script a little bit. So now I really am super focused well, you know, I've spent the last 10 years of my life. I'm, I'm coming up on 10 years clean and sober.
0: Wow. Congrats. And, uh,
1: I spent so much time working with adults and I just, it was, it was, just like groundhog day, like same issues, different story, different color hair, male, female, it didn't matter. And I'm like, man, we really got to start at the root of this thing. So I really switched my focus onto the youth and prevention, you know, intervention's great, but I really want to prevent it from, even happening, you know, we're going to, there's going to be bullies. We're going to have bad days. We need to have the life skills taught at a younger age so that they know it's coming and that they're going to be confident when it does come. And that's what we were talking about in the interview before is about martial arts and and what that has done for me, you know, little kids and whatever sports. So I use my gym to teach life skills. It's not even about the fitness part. It's about doing a hard thing and pushing past your limits in a safe environment for me. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, so when you were growing up, did you, were you playing sports at all or was that something that you kind of lacked in your, in your childhood?
1: Uh, That was my only thing that I was ever good at. I was a terrible student. Okay. No, I didn't, wasn't good at that. And I, and, uh, but I was an amazing, I don't want to talk myself up, but I was an amazing soccer player. Yeah. And, uh, and then it basically bled into any sport that I played. I was one of the best, whether it was on the field, the court, or that. So I was the starting point guard. Um, I started hockey as a sophomore in high school, and I ended up on the all-star team and a AAA travel team by my senior year. Wow. So I found that's where I could take out my anger, and that's where I could really push myself to the limit, and, and I knew who I was in those areas. It's everything else that I wasn't getting the lesson. So um, athletic. that's why it's such a huge part of my life still at 41 years old. um, There's just so much to be learned. And I think that coaching properly, proper education, and really diving into these kids and teaching them a lesson while we're playing the sports is so beneficial.
0: Yeah, I see when I was growing up, you know, I was a hockey player, so I can relate. But i didn't kind of fall off until i I realized that my career was over, and then I kind of fell off and it's interesting that like you were so this is the thing that you know I always find interesting about people is that because you were really good at sports and you probably could have made it you know what made you where where like what made you decide to sort of go off that other way instead of kind of honing in on one because was it, the, was it the kids? Was it the, the coaches? Like lack of confidence? Like, I mean, I know like bullying and all that can, it can be tough growing up, but sometimes when you're good at that sport, that's like the one thing that can kind of get you through it. So, yeah. what was the reason why you did, like, you know, what, what made you kind of go down the other way?
1: So, I actually went my senior year in high school with my comp team here in the state. Uh, we went to England and Scotland mm. and played against some of the best teams over there. And then I, I had an opportunity, my dad talked to a few of the coaches and said, your son's good enough to come back and try out for these junior pro teams. And I came home and I had a bunch of D1 scholarships and I was in the process of getting a good enough SAT score to be able to be even be on probation. And uh, I came home and I got with some of, my, some of my drug buddies and one of them told me that he needed, he needed a ride. And I went and gave him a ride to this kid's house and me and a couple of buddies were sitting in the car. And a few minutes later, we heard a loud bang and we look over and some guy has my buddy pinned up on the hood of a car. And we got out and we ran over there and I was going to break him up and we broke it up and we were walking off and the guy's like, you're 18, you're free game. And I went to turn and he punched me. And within 90 seconds, you know, it's just that spur of the moment fight or flight and we beat him up pretty bad. And, uh, what we didn't know is he was a highway patrolman. Oh. So inside of that 90 seconds, my pro chance, my college career chance, it, uh, it found its way. They, they called me and are like, yeah, we don't want you. So that I, I understand that when your career was over, you die. So they say athletes die twice. They die the day their career is over and then they actually die. Man. So that's all I had. And then I'm sitting there at 18 years old going, what now? And uh, I had nothing left. And so I just turned to drugs and alcohol and kind of wandered through my street smarts and getting really good at manipulating and, and uh, now, you know, making up for it. You know, most people don't start cage fighting at 35 years old and they don't win jujitsu tournaments for the first time at 41 years old. And so I'm trying to relive those those young lives, but that's why. I want to be a part of these kids' lives and let them know. Look, you can act that way, but these are the consequences. And I'm not. Yeah. I'm not here from a cop. I lived it, and it's like, I'm, uh, that's crazy that you brought it up. It's been such a huge changer in my life. That what if? Yeah. What if I hadn't have given that ride? What if it was literally 90 seconds that altered my life forever?
0: Man, I get goosebumps from that because it's so. I I just think back because of the story so similar to mine, not, not in that regard, but like, man, we were doing stupid shit too. And even in between, you know, I was playing junior a hockey and in the summers we were doing stupid shit and we any of that could have been any of us, you know, people drinking, you know, driving, people just doing stupid stuff in general, right. Getting in fights and you know, with mine, it was my last year as junior. I went and did a big cycle of steroids and I fucking gained like 25 pounds and I went to camp and my camp, the, the coach is like, what's wrong with your face? Like, why are you so big? And here I thought, Oh man, I'm going to go to camp. I'm going to, I'm going to fucking knock everybody over. I'm going to stand in for the net. I'm going to be the best. And yeah. I couldn't skate. And he's like, you know, I got cut right before the, right before season opener. And that was just like, that was it. I finished off the year playing a lower level of junior, but that was the, that was it, you know? And, yeah. and then after that, it's like, I can relate, man. You're like, fuck. Now what? Yeah. That's all I knew. That's all you know. And then you see all these people going to school for, for jobs or trades or whatever. And you're like, oh, man, I was the athlete. Now I'm fucked. Yeah. Yeah, you know, funny.
1: Like, Yeah. go ahead.
0: No, you, you know, and then you're kind of like, that's why I can relate. And then all of a sudden, you're these friends that are sort of getting into trouble or drinking or whatever. It's nobody's fault. You just sort of, you sort of don't have anything else. So yeah. it's so easy to just go and have drinks and then. And then it kind of goes down that road. Right.
1: Yeah. And and that's where I was, I was, you know, I was always a pretty good entrepreneur businessman. I could talk my way into a lot of things and I'm sitting there at 27 years old, kind of the older party guy, you know, keggers at my house every weekend and my buddies are all getting married or dying. And it's like, I took this girl on a date and I was like, I need to know if she's for real. And so I bought a, eight ball of cocaine, and I lined it up, and, and the way I decided if she was cool or not is if she was okay with it. And I ended up marrying her, and that lasted six months. <laughs> like my decider if she, was, if she was quality or not is like if she accepts my crazy drug addict lifestyle. Like I look back at that, and, and the associations and, and uh, the drive when I didn't have direction and where to go after that life was taken from me. I had my best friend kill himself at uh, 19 and all those what ifs, like I should have known I was with him. He threw me a party for my 21st birthday, like seven days before he did it. Yeah. Like, man, so just, you know, my parents and most parents don't talk about what's really coming down the pipeline. Like everything's going to be okay. You'll be fine. Like life kicked my ass and I didn't have the defense for it. And I think that's another reason why I like martial arts is it's just kind of a little little philosophy on life. Like, you know, you, you got to be able to breathe through that choke, you know. And uh, eventually, if you have the right technique, if you have the right life skills, then you'll be able to get through life, you know. And, you know, they all say it doesn't get easier. We just get stronger. And uh, I just uh, I love pounding that into kids and seeing them come up in seventh, eighth, and ninth grade with more Courage and confidence and life skills than I had at 25 years old.
0: Yeah, and and at that age, it's very rare that you have somebody that's kind of like a cool a cool influence that's been through it and isn't just some like teacher or something that doesn't know anything, just giving you advice like stay away from drugs, little Joey. Like you know, that's <laughs> never done drugs in their life. You yeah. know, and it's a lot better to hear it from somebody that's that's walked it and knows the true, you know, what you went through, you know? And maybe what kind of story do you tell these guys? Maybe let's walk us through. So you, you, you got into that, you know, the sports are over. You're into the drugs, alcohol. You know, talk us through that lifestyle for a while and, and, and all that stuff that happened. And, and kind of what was like your rock bottom sort of moment that made you be like, all right, let's, it's time to make this shift.
1: Yeah, so at 19, I've got him tattooed on my arm here. Um, Danny took his own life and, uh, I went into a downward spiral from there and I was just, my 21st birthday, I did cocaine with my brother-in-law and then a few, about a year after that, I got introduced to the crystal mat.
0: Oh man.
1: Years after that, I got introduced to the needle and and the way I go, I got one gear and it's freaking dead sprint forward. So I'm doing levels of drugs that would kill most everybody in the room and, uh, so I'm losing friends just out of fear, like this dude's gonna die tonight. Oh man! And uh, you get to the point where you're shooting dope by yourself, and you're cooped up in your mom's basement, and they're sliding the food under the door type of a type of a lifestyle. And uh, then my friends started dying. I had a couple friends that worked for me um, overdose then a few months of each other. And uh, I was leaving one of the funerals, and I knew that I needed to change. And like I said, we're we're a pretty uh sheltered community because everybody's super religious and we pretend like our families don't have problems and and all of that stuff. And uh I was driving home and we'd really only had one person in the community ever be open about addiction. So we didn't know about a I didn't know about AA, I didn't know about any of that stuff. But I knew I was seeing my buddy laying there in his casket, I needed to, I needed some change. And so I was driving home and I was high as a kite, you know, I'm I'm doing I had a drug habit of about five grand a month of coke and heroin and uh, I owned a concrete company at the time and uh I went down to my storage unit on the way home I was calling rehabs and I finally got a place they could get me in it's like it's like Monday night and I could get me in on Wednesday and I didn't want to get dope sick so I went down and I threw all my needles away and I needed to shoot up one more time so I wouldn't get sick and I was with my buddy and uh that's all I remember and he said I came walking out of the bathroom and I was sweating and I had a convulsion and I threw myself back in my head hit concrete and he said he came over to check on me and I had blood coming out of my ears out of my nose and out of my mouth and he checked to see if I was alive and I was dead so he bounced he didn't want to get in trouble so he left me laying there dead and uh, he said he got down the road a little bit and felt guilty and he called nine one one. And uh, they came and kicked in the door, and they worked on me for 25 minutes to get my heart pumping again and uh, rushed me to the hospital and found out that I had a brain hemorrhage from the impact. And uh, they rushed me up to another big hospital in Salt Lake City, and I I, uh, flatlined three more times. I spent seven days in a coma, and when I woke up, uh, of all my buddies, uh, nobody came to see me. And I'm just sitting there like, man, my wife had just divorced me. It's like, she's like, choose me or the drugs. And I was like, there's the door. So all these things were happening. And then I have an overdose and and, uh, should have died. And uh, you'd think that that would be my rock bottom. But it's like, as I was laying there in the bed and they're pumping me full of drugs, it wasn't the drugs that I was withdrawing from. So even though I had all these painkillers, I'm still withdrawing from coke and heroin and So as soon as they pulled those tubes out of me, I had this girl drive me. I told her that I need to go get a contract signed for my concrete company. And she drove me straight to my dope dealer, straight from ICU. And it's like, how sick, people don't understand how sick addiction can come. And it's like, I'm not some gutter rat, you know, I come from a well-off family, And, uh, and then I finally got into rehab for the first time
0: Mm.
1: and, uh, and that's when I learned about all my, my bipolar and ADHD and all the common effects that it has and why I was self-medicating. And, and I came out and I was thriving and I got my business back up and I built a big home and I got married and, and uh, started playing soccer again. And then I blew my ACL. And i have been doing all the recovery work on building relationships and overcoming that. But that when you feel pain and you self-medicate for as many years as I did, 18 – that when I had that immense pain right off the bat, it just triggered that thought like drugs. So I gave up 18 months of sobriety, baby on the way, new home, new marriage, and uh, I could only keep the life for a few minutes and that relapse cost me uh, parenting my daughter and and my marriage and uh, I ended up above, there's a LDS temple up on the mountain and uh, I just got to the point where I knew my daughter needed more and that meant me killing myself, that any man could come in and be a better father than I could be, and that I finally just needed to pull the trigger, and uh, I went up there and had an aha moment when the gun was in my mouth. You know, God had never answered any of my prayers, and my mom really pissed me off by, you know, she's such a God-loving woman. I wanted to kind of be defiant and say a prayer to that God so that when He didn't answer my prayer, that my when my mom died she could look him in the face and say you failed me," and uh i knelt down and put that gun in my mouth and said a prayer that if i needed something a little louder than a still small voice and that if i don't get it before i open my eyes i'm going to pull the trigger and uh right as i was going to open my eyes it was like 10 o'clock at night a uh, firework display went off above the temple and it was like end of august and uh during that time i heard a voice and it said is that loud enough and uh that I laid there for about 25 minutes paralyzed and I was freaked out cause I'm not a God. You know, I was, I hated God if there wasn't God. And, uh, at that point it was like revealed to me and like, I'm still not religious, but I'm a very spiritual person to me that there's something else. And there's a reason I'm here and that I have no more excuses. Gave me just enough to be like, sorry, dude, you're here. And and I almost felt like it was a punishment. (laughs) Like He's like, nope, you gotta suffer more, dude. But uh, at that point, I went and took the gun to my parents' house and uh, told them what had happened. I drove myself straight to the hospital and went through detox, went to rehab. And uh, that's when the real shit hit the fan of doing everything I'm supposed to, getting clean for my daughter, for my dad, for my mom. And I get out of rehab and my wife drives me home and rolls the window down and says, by the way, we're divorced. And I made a deal with myself in rehab that if my life ever got so shitty that I wanted to use drugs again, that I would just kill myself so that at least I'd die sober. And my brother knew I made that deal with myself. And he's like, man, let's get out of here. Let's go to Jackson Hole. And I was like, all right. So we take off and about an hour into the, into the drive, I got a call from my buddy. And he's like, what happened to your truck? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I just saw it on a flatbed driving down fifth south. I'm like, no, it's in my mom's driveway. He's like, no, it's on on a flatbed. And uh, when I was in rehab, I didn't pay any of my payments because my parents had saved me all my life, and they quit saving me. So as soon as I left, they came in, they put padlocks on my home, took my business, took all my cars. So now my wife left me, and everything that made me cool rob is now gone. And uh, two months after that is when uh, – we got a phone call that my dad had passed away on the side of the road from a diabetic low. So that is when I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, why, what, what am I doing here? Like I've done everything you've asked. I've done this. And it was like, you, you know who Eric Thomas is? No. So he's one of the top motivational speakers in the world. He, oh he,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry.
1: So I went and I, and I don't know, man, the universe has been good to me, but we were going to one of his, uh, one of his, uh, couples seminars in San Diego and I'm sitting there on the toilet and I hear a voice and I'm like, honey, go out in the, go out in the hall and see who that is. Dude, his frigging room was right across from ours and it was him. So I pulled my pants up. If you go on my Instagram, you can see me with my shirt off. And I literally pulled my pants up, and went out and talked to him. And it's like, he's like the first time. And he has a similar story. He says, you know, God came in and he, t- he made me homeless and he says, do you hear me now? And he's like, I didn't hear him. And he kept laying down these punishments and he's going to humble you to a point until you listen. He's like, you probably needed those things to be gone in order to humble yourself enough to start to hear the message. And uh, in that moment, I was like, man, I'm going to start living for my dad as if he were here. And I want to be a great example to my daughter. And uh, if I shouldn't, if, if I wouldn't leave my daughter with these dudes, then I should, probably shouldn't be around them either. And I just started holding myself to the super high standard of who and what I was around and what I let happen in my life. And uh, that was the biggest game changer ever. So I was out of money. I couldn't do anything. So I got a government grant from the state. And I went back, and I studied only psychology. And they're like, no, you got to take math. You gotta, I'm like, I'm not here to get a degree. I'm here to find out why I'm so messed up. So they're like, okay. And I went in, and every word out of that book, it was like they wrote my biography in that in that first uh, psychology 101 book. It's like every mental illness I think I've experienced it and PTSD. and
0: yeah. Man,
1: it just sent me on this path of just pure like passion. And it spoke to me deeper than anything ever has. And uh, when I got into the schools, they make you do a background check. And I was like four months sober. or or four years sober and I went in and I totally forgot about my rap sheet and they're like okay background check fingerprints and I'm all pumped they're like yeah you'll hear back in two weeks and I got an email the next day said thanks but no thanks and I'm like oh shit I told my son that I'd help coach wrestling and I was gonna volunteer and uh so I printed off my background check and I made an appointment with the guy and I went in and I pushed it across the table and said where would you like to start and he kind of got crazy eyes and I was, and I just told him the same story I'm sharing with youth right now and at the end of it he was teary eyed and he stamped it approved and he's like we need more coaches like you and that started my path into the into the youth and you know I'm, when they see a dude like this walking down the hallway they're not calling there's a gunman in the school you know and the kids do they they love talking to me because they have enough suit and ties, they have enough school cops, they need somebody who's been through some shit saying, you know what, that's a bad idea.
0: Yeah. Man, what, that's insane story, man. I I, was, I almost got tears listening to that, bro, because, you know, you went through such a, I, I just, man, like, you know, when I think about my story and then I think about that and it's like, you know, I see similarities, but like, man, after, I can't even imagine what, first of all, what it would be like I've heard and seen, I haven't experienced heroin, but that itself just coming off that is a, is a massive, massive achievement. And that's an addicting, that's something that I never went down and to see somebody just to come off that, but to be able to get through such a hard time and losing everything and losing your dad is, is absolutely amazing, man. Like I was, you're telling that story and I was just like, this is, this is fucking crazy. This is like, this is one of the that's that's definitely one of the biggest stories of overcoming adversity we've had on the show. And I just love that because I want people to understand that there is no excuses. We're all gonna go through shit. You know, somebody's always gone through worse than you, you know, and there's always tomorrow. There's always there's always, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And it's Absolutely. like what is these, what are these things teaching us, right? Yep. And if you could have that perspective that these are lessons instead of it happening to you and it's happening for you, I know it's a hard shift when you're when your you know backup is up against the wall, yep. but man, if these kids and people hearing that can realize that it's going to be so much better when well so much you're going to have the tools to get through these situations yep. and be able to handle them differently right in in the best way possible, so yeah.
1: I remember one specific moment in my recovery where I was like, I hated going to AA. I'm like, these people are idiots. I'm worse than, or I'm better than, you know, just depended on the day. I'm sitting there head down, and I'm hearing this story about partying and robbing drug dealers, and you know, I was a pretty crazy dude. And and I'm like, like getting interested in the story. I'm like, yeah, that's this person gets me. I look over. It's like an 85 year old lady. And she's just cussing and telling her raggedy story. And I was like, oh, my gosh, maybe maybe I'm not alone. And uh, the thing that they always talk about is anonymity. It's like if you don't share your story, who, everybody's going to feel alone. Yet the one thing when I go and speak in front of 600 people or 30, I say, how many of you personally experience or know somebody who experiences depression, anxiety, or suicidal thoughts? Every hand in the room goes up. Yeah. How many of you are feel comfortable talking about that? Almost every hand in the room goes down. Yeah. Like the one thing that we are is human and there is no pass or fail, right? We just got to keep moving forward, learn from it, grow from it, not give up and have some people that are willing to hop down in the hole and show people the blueprint on how to get the fuck out.
0: Oh man. I (laughs) I love that. So what are your thoughts on AA itself though? Because I don't know. I have, I have mixed opinions about it, but I'm sure it's worked for a lot of people, but like, you know, now in hindsight, is that the way that you would, you would tell somebody that in addiction now that you know about psychology and you know about all that, would you say that's a good route? Or would you say that it's more of like belief systems and, and reprogramming?
1: All all the above. But what it did for me was I was so insecure at the time and you go in there and the first time they're like, do you want to share? And you're like, Fuck no, I don't want to share it. Nobody gives a shit what I have to say. Like it gave me my voice and yeah. it showed me that I'm not the only messed up person on the planet. Mm. But what happens is people get addicted to that as well. Like that becomes their community. It, it Where it should give you life, it becomes their life. Yeah. For me, it's preschool. Yeah. Like you got to have shit like the gym. Is not my life. I own a gym and I spend the least amount of time possible here. I want to get really strong to go out and live life. Yeah. AA should give me enough strength, enough tools to go out and explore and live life. Mm. And people don't take it that way. But it's like, dude, yeah. like you can't pray shit away. You can pray for guidance, but you got to take action. It doesn't matter what it is, you have to take action,
0: period. Yeah, because isn't it, aren't they kind of affirming that they are an addict over and over again? Isn't that kind of admitting it and then you kind of become, you just, how, how do you get out of that state if you're constantly affirm, you know, using affirmations and telling yourself? So
1: I think it, it, at the end of it is you just got to admit, like a lot of people struggle with God with, yeah. like you say God and they twinge or they're like, I'm out of here. Like yeah. it doesn't matter if you can't change. If you're an alcoholic and somebody's talking about heroin and you just shut off the message because they said heroin, you're missing the point. I don't give a shit what it is. It's like you say, hey, I'm Rob. I'm an alcoholic. That's just a reminder that at no point in my life would it be a good idea to try and drink like a man again. Because if I could have done it the first time, I would have. Right. If I if I could just have, you know, if weed was enough, I never would have smoked crack. You know, it's mm-hmm. I used it for the wrong reasons and I overdo everything I love. You know, so I've got to learn to find the balance it's like i started rock climbing like two years ago and i'm doing shit that people haven't they've been climbing for 30 years can't do because i just go ham on it i'm like
0: yeah
1: lessons i'm gonna climb i'm gonna train i'm gonna and it it gets people overwhelmed it's like so (laughs) i have like 30 hobbies i skydive i horseback ride i do jujitsu i box you know all these things and it's like if i don't if i pick one thing i'm gonna run the wheels right off of it yeah and I know that about me. So if I go and have a beer and it feels good, I want to feel even better. So just give me that bottle of vodka or wild Turkey one-on-one.
0: I'm the same way, man. That's why I had to quit drinking too, because I'm either in or I'm in the way, you know, and that's kind of like, I'm the, I, I can relate. Cause I, when I do something, I want to do it full. Like if I'm going to have a beer, I want to have shots. I want to just do it. And I feel like that's, you sound like you have the same sort of thing. Right. And I mean that's good and bad, but you gotta know which areas that it's appropriate and which areas it's hindering you, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you keep telling me to slow down. I just barely had <laughs> I just barely had my second neck surgery and they're like, You're gonna be done, right? And I'm like, when can I get punched in the face again? Yeah, I mean like, well, two months I guess. Wow, I like, man, I gotta live because I didn't live but I didn't live for the right reasons. I thought living was numbing out, getting faded and waking up in the dirt and uh man was i mistaken yeah kids are getting fooled by that they see it on instagram they see it on social media like going to the raves and this is the life and little do they know that the consequences of that world are uh pretty harmful you know some make it out without ever having to adapt or get addicted but some are it's sketchy man so
0: Yeah. Well, who knows what the effects of some of that ecstasy down the road, man. Like, I mean, I don't even want to know that stuff that we did when we were, I was in my early twenties. You know, who knows down the road, I hope, let's just hope that I've worked that self out, but I mean, you know, enough of that physical activity and nutrition, hopefully is there. So, okay. So now you've, you, you decided you want to make the shift. You're doing amazing things. What are, what are some of the core foundations that that really helped propel you out of that shit? Like what are some things that were like kind of staples that you had to impl- in, implement into your daily method of operations and that you found was useful to kind of build a new life?
1: So I quit giving a shit about what anybody else said. I knew I was a drug addict. People from my past wanted to keep a thumb, even family members, they wanted to remind me hey, you're a drug addict, you need to watch out for, and I just had to put that on hold, and you know, I started my gym outside, just at a part, at a kid's elementary school, because nobody trusted me enough to be inside, and I knew that fitness helped me stay sober, so fitness and nutrition, hands down, you got to have it, right, mm-hmm. you can't have a healthy mind if you're poisoning your body on a daily basis, carrying nasty fats, and all that stuff, but um, like everybody follows all these different people in their industry. Like, you know, this trainer, I'm like, that's not why I'm here, man. I don't care. I'm trying to be the best me. And that's not copying anybody else. Like you'll never be the best copycat. You know, I love that, that saying. And so I just really focused on what I could do next. And on a daily basis, look, take a hard look at myself. Yeah. Like I love writing things. I hate writing, but journaling saved my life because if I hadn't have seen in my own handwriting me write about anger for 18 days in a row and didn't even notice until I went back and was like, Oh shit, maybe I'm angry, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, that and then really the, the idea my dad, before he passed away, he's like, I was talking to him, I'm lonely. I want to, you know, I want to start dating cause you're not supposed to date for a year and all this stuff. He's like, Hey, you know, when Sophie's older, if a guy came into her life, that was like you, would you let her date him? I was like, fuck no. And in that moment, I was like, oh shit. Until the answer is yes, my dad dad dad's like, until the answer is yes, don't even think about it. And so everything I did was like, if she were here, would I be saying this? If she were here, would I be doing this? If she were here, what would I want her to see me doing? And it took me about two years of, of, uh, I spent a lot of time alone and a lot of time working on myself And just being, you know, I I don't want to say critical of myself, but really revamping who I was. But coming from a religious area and a successful family, I had to redefine what my God looked like and what success meant. And one of the biggest things is I had to take the dollar signs out of success. Mm -hmm. For me, success meant being genuinely happy because I hadn't been in 31 years. And uh, once I could look myself in the mirror and be happy with the man looking back, everything else just fell into place. Like I didn't care. Once I had all that stuff taken, away, like the cute wife, the big house, the big truck, all the things that made me look cool, or I thought made me look cool. Once that was gone and I'm driving a beater Jeep and living in a shitty apartment and all the things, you know, I was embarrassed to go outside. I was embarrassed to drive the car. So I put a hat on and glasses and and buzz around and and that's, I think a lot of people are sick in that way, mm. you know, dressing by the most expensive clothes and just living paycheck to paycheck. And yeah, my God, what everybody preached to me, because in our church, in the LDS church, you get baptized at eight, right? Yeah. And part of that is the baptism means that you're washed away of all your sins and that you'll be a different person. You receive, When I was eight, I'm thinking that, I'm going to be good at math and that I'm not going to get bullied anymore. I'm going to be better looking. And when I went back to school on Monday after being baptized and I still got bullied and I still sucked at math, Like that's really when I waged a war with God and that's a bad place to be at eight years old. So seeing these pictures, being forced fed all these ideas of, of God and religion and all these things. I really, once I defined, I was like, I was sitting there thinking after my dad passed and everybody's talking about God, God, God. And I had actually quit praying to God and prayed, started praying to my dad because I knew if there was a heaven, he was there and pretty good chance he was running the show. Mm. So um, once I got to the point, and I remember sitting there one day going, you know, they talk about him being our ultimate father. If, if he loved me, even a quarter of what my real dad does, I'm fine. Mm. He's going to, as long as I'm trying to do better and I quit, don't make the same mistakes on a daily basis. That's what it's about getting a little bit better. it's not like oh i love that meme have you seen it where jesus is hugging that guy and it says thank you so much for not drinking coffee and that's just so funny <laughs> yeah like, like my religion you can't drink coffee you're not supposed yeah. to drink coffee it's like really like come on yeah. you just get so deep into nonsense and and a bunch of rules that it's like i that, that was a big part for me
0: yeah
1: up and, and uh so now i go to indian sweats and we spent some time in Nepal with the Buddhist priests and, and visit different churches and belief systems. And I just gained so much from all of it. And, uh, especially nature too, being in the mountains with my animals. So we have 30 animals on my farm. I got six horses and six goats and a bunch of chickens and a dog. And and there's just so much to be learned in the nonverbal communication with all these animals and things.
0: It's amazing, man. And I, that's my next, my next, uh, question about that i'm glad you brought up the religion and stuff because growing up in the the mormon community that's got to be difficult in itself but now that you okay maybe talk about what does spirituality mean to you and because you talked about how that you're spiritual and that helps you and how how is it dealing with and having to have that conversation with people because everybody seems to be mormon there how how do you deal with that cuz that's a, that's a set of challenges on itself cuz yeah. people have this one way of thinking how do you navigate through that on a daily basis especially in the schools
1: yeah so what what is the dominant religion where you live
0: uh Where's it's christianity it's it's you know catholic it's every i don't know i don't even pay attention anymore to to the religions but i'm yeah. spiritual too
1: yeah so the problem is I associated spirituality with religion. So either one, I was like, mm. you know, I
0: didn't
1: yeah. want nothing to do with that. But once I understand, somebody told me it's like, religion is a belief in somebody else's experience. Spirituality is a belief in your own. And when I, when I heard that, I was like, wow, well, I know this to be true. I can believe this, 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 this. And really just through my experience, it's just like what I know to be true, what I know to be right and wrong. And if I work those things, it just fuels my spirituality. And as I add knowledge and see miracles happening inside of the kids I work with or families I work with or seeing my kids grow up and learn hard lessons and overcome them, it's like, that's all God to me. You know, it's not something, I don't got to put on a suit and tie. I don't got to, and then being in my area with, like, you should see the looks we get. My wife's Mexican, so interracial, tattoos, like we're in a predominantly white, and not tattoos and i've got a neck tattoo you know and and i did that my dad asked for the job i wanted and i want to change i want to change some minds so i want people to have a second chance and i figured no better way than to get that shit tattooed on and just go go ham on it and uh so in the schools i'll be in the in the office and i remember walking out and i hear the office lady getting kind of loud and then i came back in she's really protective of me she loves me and uh i come back in she's like that lady just said why why do we have people like that around our children and she, I got really mad at her and I said that's the kid helping your child and uh it it's hard but it's good it's yeah. like i i was i think god put me through all of those challenges to prepare me for the war that i was about to lead and i can't tell these kids to go out and face fear and to face their anxieties if i if i don't do it myself you yeah. know and i've just like i literally have it tattooed on as armor. Like these are my straps and this is so that every single day I know what I'm fighting. There's no question about it. There's no washing it off. Like this is the path I chose and I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm there, man. You
0: You know, what's crazy about adversity, bro, is that like, you know, and you're talking to these kids and everything and you know, we don't want them to go through shit, but We know that they need to, but we don't want to know exactly, like, you know, it's a really weird thing because we want everyone to be safe, right? We love everybody. We want everybody to be safe, but we, we, and we don't want to say, Hey, you got to go through shit. You're going to go through tough times because we want to be positive. But at the same time, they almost need to go through it and they will. And it's, it's a, it's a really strange thing because you don't want to wish anything bad, but also that's where they're going to grow. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. I think the big thing with that is is the biggest problem is the over parents are too up in their kids' lives these days. So yeah. what I can do as a coach or what you could do for my kid saying the same thing I am, but they're going to listen to you because they got sick of hearing my voice. So if parents just back off a little bit mm-hmm. and surround them with good church leaders, coaches, teachers, whatever it is, might the question I love the most is when somebody comes to me and they're like, oh, this happened. And the first question I ask is, well, what did you learn? And they're like, you know, I'm not coddling. Oh, I'm sorry that happened. But what did you learn? Yeah. And they're like, well, uh, what do you mean? I'm like, well, what what could you have done differently? And when they flip it, then they're out of it. And they're like, oh, next time I'm going to do this. not sitting and dwelling on the depression or the sadness. Like that shit can go away instantly if you just look at like, okay, something just happened. What was it? Yeah. I'm going to not take that turn next time. But parents swoop in, protect, protect, protect. And then when it's time, send them off to college or whatever. And they're just like little babies. You know, yeah. they're having puppies and safe spaces. Like that shit. Like what?
0: when <laughs> yeah. you not- get into the real world. It's like a real shit kicking. Yeah. You know, like they don't even teach you all the things you need to learn in school half the time either. Yeah. Like it's a hard reality. And. I mean, the more they're equipped with those tools like you're doing, the better they'll be when, they, when shit hits the fan. That's what it is. Shit will hit the fan for everybody. How are you going to deal with it, right? Yep. You have the tools. Absolutely. Yeah, That's
1: man. just, you know, I'm a I was a big obstacle racer. Yeah. I worked my way up. I, I raced in the World Championship of Obstacle Racing against 2,500 competitors, six countries, And people are like, why would you do that? Like you got to sign a death waiver. You're in a seven mil wetsuit. It's freezing cold outside and you race for 24 hours. And it's like, that's a good question. Why the hell would you do that? Mm. Because in that 24 hours, I want to, I feel like I'm going to die at least 30 times. I want to quit at least a hundred times. But if I keep going inside of a safe zone in one day, you know how many life lessons I learned? It's like, yeah, I use fitness. Like there's a million times when when you get tired at the gym, what do you do? You go get water or you go take a selfie or you go, like no, you stick your ass there and you finish your rounds. Yeah, like Muhammad Ali. They said, "Hey champ, how many pushups can you do?" And he says, "I don't know. I don't start counting until I want to quit."
0: <laughs> like, Fuck! What a legend! I just saw a documentary on him, man, on HBO. That guy was a that guy was a crazy, crazy competitive dude, man. Like psychologically and physically, he was he was in, like borderline insane, but all great all great people are. He yeah. was like. I didn't see in this HBO documentary. I never saw. I mean, obviously, I'm in, I'm 35. I never really understood. I saw bits and pieces of Muhammad Ali, but watching this documentary and getting an insight of his life and how animated he was and how he just he wasn't scared of anything. And the guy should have retired. He's still going and he's still going. And it's like it's insane. And in that level that level of commitment in your mind is just. There's a reason he was where he was. Same with like Conor McGregor. Yeah. You know? That's my guy, man. Like my guy. like borderline borderline batshit crazy. You know? Yeah. Like <laughs> Oh, it's amazing. We it's went to the fight. Oh, oh man. Yeah. I went to Ireland
1: last uh last Christmas and went and fought at SBG.
0: Oh, amazing. So it was it was a cool experience.
1: But yeah, man, it's like I think once you get a taste of the passion and that can, you know, that fire can go out down the road, but not enough people dare chase their dreams. It's like society, like get a job. I hate that word. Get a (laughs) job. What does that even mean? So it (laughs) means that come Sunday I get anxiety and start getting sick. And then Monday I'm just like, fuck, I don't want to go. I don't want that for my kids. No. Like I'd rather you focus instead of going to college, focus four years on something that really makes really like your thing. I'll help you find a way to make money doing it and go do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because the
1: sickness that comes with depression and anxiety and hating your coworkers and hating what you do, that's toxic, man. Toxic for society, toxic for our kids, toxic for our parents. It's like
0: – Yeah, no, for sure, man. Tell, just a couple more questions for you, bro. What, t- paint us a picture of what you're doing now with your gym. Talk us through you know, what kind of programs you got there, um, I'm, I, I know I find that very intriguing because I, like I, we said earlier, I just, I'm going to be training for three months for this charity boxing match, apron for gloves, and it's like that discipline that I, I, that I lacked for so long and that competitive edge that I had in hockey, you have that installed so early and then when you lose that, you hardly get that back in our mundane society. So it's yeah. nice to have that. And maybe tell us about some of the stuff that you guys do at your gym that you know helps kind of get that that fire going for people
1: so i was fortunate enough to have an amazing coach um master pace he's a taekwondo guy and then the kid i fought first i took a fight off facebook at 35 years old sitting on my mom's couch and the guy calls he's like oh do you have any wrestling background?" And i was like yeah i wrestled seventh grade at my junior high he's like this dude's a nebraska wrestler and i was like you know egos I'm, i'm going i'm feeling good and and so we get ready and I've never lost a street fight and I was always pretty strong and athletic. And, uh, I went two and a half rounds with this guy. He just beat the shit out of me. And, uh, it was humbling. So I went and I fought and I went into their camp and it was me and Paul Sanders and Will Pace as our coach. And he would get into the discipline. He's like, if you're cutting weight, I'm cutting weight. Like he led by example. We were in there training two hours, hitting mids. If your hands drop below your chin, you're doing burpees. And it's like, and, Everybody was so committed to the journey,
0: Mm.
1: not the destination, but the journey and becoming a little bit better each day that that's just something that I've taken on to a huge, like we're Navy SEAL style, respect inside the rooms, no bullying, camaraderie. doesn't matter how big or small we're, you know, we're carrying everybody along. And, uh, and then, so we have, we have the normal gym group, training. I don't do any personal training. I feel like that's either you're insecure and you don't dare train with other people. And therefore we need to do some life coaching sessions and get you in there or you're a professional athlete. And I'm not messing with those anyway. So we get the group. And then during the days, I do a lot of the life coaching, recovery coaching and 100% of my life coaching and recovery coaching. Part of it is training every day. Wow. So there's nothing I can do for you if you're not willing to get off your ass and improve your body, improve your mind. And uh, one thing I had to learn that was really hard for me was I can't do it for you.
0: Yeah. What's, no. your, what's your daily routine look like? What do you tell your – Me personally? Yeah. What do you preach? Like what's your, what's your go-to? Like what works for you? What gives you – not that you do every day. I know everybody doesn't. But like what primes you for the best day of your life? You know, like what, what gets you there?
1: So it starts usually the night before and leaving everything in that day, and Good. I wake up early. I'm up. I'm up usually about 5 a.m. Yeah. You ever read what the most successful people do before breakfast? No. S- small book. Pretty easy read. Pretty boring. I listen to it, but but in general, it's like you talk about quality time with family or girlfriend or are you married or anything?
0: Uh, I got a girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: your quality time, it's like. After you've gone through your day and had your ass kicked and talked shit by your coworkers and whatever, then you come home and and you're supposed to have quality time with your kids or your girlfriend. Like, how does that make sense? But if you get up at 4am, your phone's not going off. Your emails aren't going off. It's actually quiet. You can have some, can take the bath. You can work out as long as you want. You can do all these things. And they have all switched from doing things at night to doing things in the morning. Mm. And so I started getting up early and I can sit out there and, The only thing, my my house is, I've been blessed, man. There's nothing around but farmland, and I'm like three minutes from the city, but I'm just in this little part of county that's still farmland. Amazing. And listening to the animals and watching the sun come up and and starting my day not hit snooze three times, wake up late for work, hurry through the shower, hurry, get dressed, speed to work, get there late, get in trouble. It's like dude, you just gave yourself an hour worth of stress to start your day yeah does that make sense we all know that guy that's chronically late just all the time
0: rush rush rush, rush. i never have any time
1: it's like man
0: get up earlier yeah you must love Jocko willink <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, he's so a- I,
1: I do that and then uh i really work my ass off so that i don't i live my life on my terms yeah i don't have to be anywhere if i don't want to be there and yeah. uh so i work out I try and work out every day, whether that be rock climbing, trail running, do a lot of downhill mountain biking, spend time with my animals. Um, I've gotta have that spiritual peace. So mind, body and soul, right? So, and then uh, I try and get in front of as many kids every day or adults as possible to help make a little bit of change and be willing to not be liked by giving the proper message. Too many people are worried, concerned about their reputation and being liked by everybody and things like that. And I find the more real I am, the more attention I get, you know, when the more before, liked you get <laughs> more fearful of like, oh, is anybody getting mad if I swear, but like, man, yeah, life's hard enough. I ain't got time for that shit. Yeah. So that and try and eat right. But, uh, I, you know, I've got this tattoo Says it's better to stand and fight. If you run, you will only die tired. So for me, I ran from my anxiety, my depression, my you know poor self-esteem, all this shit. And now it's like if I can do it today, I'm gonna do it today. Mm. I don't want to. Oh, I can do it tomorrow. Like I want to handle shit as it comes. It's like an obstacle race. You can't go around that boulder. You got to go over it, through it, whatever, blow it. Up. I don't care. But I try and handle my shit today.
0: Awesome. No matter man.
1: what it is, arguments, tough conversations a workout that i don't want to do, shoeing a horse i don't want to shoe, you know whatever it is, just handle your shit.
0: Amazing. Where can we find you, brother? Where's the best place? So, Instagram,
1: I'm coach eastman8, the number 8, and Rob Eastman on Facebook and Eastman Fitness and Wellness on Facebook or www.eastmanfitnessutah.com.
0: Awesome. We'll have that in the show notes. Um, make sure you guys check that out. I got to get you on Instagram too, man. I don't know if I have you on there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, bro. One more question. I always, this is the one staple question I ask. What is one tip that you could give? I know you've given a, a ton. One tip for overcoming adversity to go on to become successful in whatever the hell you're doing. I think it's that that stand and fight, meaning if you... If you let
1: things steamroll, we call it snowball effect in psychology. Like, if you start feeling anxious and you start focusing on why you're anxious rather than what made you anxious, you're going to have a bad day. But if you sit in the shit for a minute and focus on why you're feeling that way and learn to handle things as it comes, man, life gets a lot easier. So think handling it as it comes. Don't put anything off that you can do right now.
0: Amazing, man. Dude, that was powerful. I really appreciate you coming by and hanging out with us. Um, I got a lot out of that, and I'm sure everybody else did too. You know, because we, uh, I don't always have, with University of Adversity, you know, adversity comes in a lot of different areas. I don't always have those amazing transformations like that. And I love it because that's very, it's close to my story, and I can find, relate to it. I can relate to it. So I know other people can connect as well. And yeah, I really appreciate your vulnerability, bro. It, it's, it helps the healing process too, and 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 it's just amazing because then it encourages other people to go and to share their story because there's somebody out there that could need it. So, I appreciate you, dude. Yeah, man. Thank All you. All right. Appreciate it. Okay, guys, make sure you check them out, Rob Eastman. Later. Wow, what a story! That almost had me in tears at one point. It's um it's amazing to see what somebody can actually go through and still survive and to know their greater purpose and to make an impact. So make sure you check out Rob on all the, all the stuff that he said on Instagram, his website, it's all going to be in the show notes. He's an awesome dude. And you know, if you want to reach out to him, reach out to him. He's, he's a great coach. He's a great guy and I'm sure he can help you. So hope you guys enjoyed that subscribe. Let us know what you think, leave us a review. I love all you guys have an amazing day. We'll catch you later.
1: You just finished another class at the University of Adversity. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and tune in again next time for more life lessons with Lance ECOs.